you're old now. This thing, these, hey, look, this is going to happen more times than not. Uh, yeah. at your age. It's Trust gonna me. It's going to get worse, not better. I'm an old That's man. Right. Now I can go back and remember to, to <laughs> congratulate you on your birthday. Thanks. Third degree, well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another edition, number 85, of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, how you doing? My name is Peter, and I'm joined by my two good friends to talk all things soccer here. First off, our local English dude, Dan Crook. Hello, Dan. Hello, Peter. Thanks for having me back. I uh, was really a bit concerned that... Uh, Tyler was stealing my gig. Yeah, I got to be honest. He's pretty good at this. He is. Yeah. He's very good. You're going to have to step up your game, mister. Uh, I don't know how I do that. I don't do well <laughs> under pressure. <laughs> come on, come on. Uh, and of course, oh, look who it is. It's your hero, my hero, and our birthday boy, editor and founder of ThirdDegree.net, the 50-year-old Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Yeah, proud to say, Peter, I've already had my first senior moment. I'm not proud of that. <laughs> and that's the only reason why Dan and yeah. I are forgiving you. Yeah. Well, and also, Dan, uh, no worries. Unless Tyler starts writing a bunch of articles, you're not going to be replaced. I'm glad I'm so useful. Uh, okay. So, guys, you know, I know that uh, people come to this podcast for all their uh, Football Club Dallas stuff, but I thought since uh, the last game was kind of a bummer and nobody's really looking forward to the playoff game. I thought I'd start off with the topic du jour and something a little different. Uh, USA men's national team, zero, Wales, zero. Uh, Buzz, I'm I'm hoping you watch the game, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Dan, did you watch it? Uh, no, that's not one of the conditions of my green card. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you watched the England game today, I, I assume, right? I did, and I think by the sounds of it, we were equally bored watching those two games. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, I don't know. Uh, this wasn't too not entertaining. All right, Buzz, uh, US 0, Wales 0. Any immediate reaction to uh, the new look USA? Well, it was important to go in, I think, uh, understanding that if the Dallas, Dallas, <laughs> if the U.S. national team would have been playing a World Cup game today, that this would not be the team. But this is a bunch of young kids that they're going to develop over the next two years or whatever. So that's really exciting. And that's what they should have been doing since the day they got eliminated. So I went in with a scouting sort of mindset to watch some guys that I don't very see very much of or see at all and try and just sort of get a grasp of where I think the talent level is. And so four things I wrote down that really jumped out at me that I thought were super exciting. Um, number one is the collective athleticism and range of the players, particularly noticeable in the midfield with Weston McKinney and um, Tyler Adams. You know, the ability to cover large swaths of ground, really exciting. Number two is the reaction time. Even guys that Ness might not play well, like when Conrad would turn it over, for example, um, it was noticeable how quick they were in transition, how quick they responded. That's really exciting because that's hard. You can't teach that. That's innate reflexes, and it's a really high watermark for real high-level talent. Number three is the quality of touch was really high, I think better than I ever can remember seeing from a national team, which probably says a lot about our whole collective pool and its development and progression. And the last was the speed of play where – uh, there were moments where it lagged, but overall, I thought it was pretty good. Now, the things that are not so great, of course, is that 
offensive as an individual is instinctive. You can look at Gio Reno's example. Um, but defensive as an individual has to be learned and taught. And when you get into team concepts, the defensive team concepts are quicker and easier to learn. Hence, a team that's never played together like this one is fairly good defensively pretty quickly. But offensive concepts are really, really hard to develop. And those obviously were not great. So those are the things that you can look for to, to develop over hopefully this year as the team can plays and competes for a, a spot in the World Cup. Yeah, um, I you know I this here's the thing. I, I was excited to see the lineup. There's all sorts of names and faces that I uh, you know to be honest, there's a couple of guys on this roster I had never even heard of prior to a week ago, um, much less know anything about their particular game. Um, but you know I th- those things stood out to me too, Buzz. And there was a level of confidence on the ball and a willingness to kind of take the game to Wales that I enjoyed. They didn't they, they didn't look frightened or scared. Um, uh, and I, I enjoyed that about, uh, this particular performance. I, I, the thing that I was surprised by, and maybe it was my one big criticism was when they finally got the ball into the final third, you know, that whoever received the ball high, uh, with their back to goal, and it could have been any of the number of the, the three guys playing at the top or one of the midfielders that had kind of made a run deep. They all just seemed to be very reluctant to turn their defender and attack the goal. They all seemed way more comfortable just playing backwards or laterally or trying to start some sort of combination passing that ultimately would very quickly break down and, and stop the attack. And I, I really got frustrated by that. I was hoping to see... Uh, uh, some more incisiveness and a little bit more creativity, um, uh, at least in the first half of the game. So you're saying the U.S. men's national team plays luchi ball? (laughs) It's funny that you say that because I will be honest with you, there was a moment in time where I thought, oh my God, I'm looking at an international version of FC Dallas. This is exact. Except, to be fair to these guys, at least they were getting the ball closer to the box before they decided to play backwards, it wasn't just playing it about forty yards wide, uh, you know, outside the penalty area, and then going all the way backwards and recirculating the ball. Um, so it was a little bit more progressive than that. Uh, but yeah, that uh, was the one thing I did think about. Well, you know, both Bearhalter and Lucci want to play the modern sort of Klopp-like system. They want to build from the back and they want to high press, and the high press is takes longer to learn and longer to develop. So they're stuck with a lot of the buildup kind of stuff. And if somebody else is going to low block against them and sort of sit back, which happens a lot at the national level, it's not surprising. And then yeah. sometimes that's hard to break that down. So especially when you're not playing together very much before this. Well, I, I, I hope you agree with me that Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney were clearly the two standouts for the U S today. I, I just, those two guys, there were so many individual moments by each of them, their recovery speeds, their willingness to attack the ball. Some of the things they did in passing were all really, really good today. Yeah. I thought Weston McKinney in particular was the man of the match. I thought his performance was dominant. You can tell that he not only um, is on a team that plays at a very high level. It's like he plays on a team that's at a very high level. Yeah. And, and it, when you combine the way he carries himself and the, and the work rate he puts in um, I, somebody else said this first it's not i'm not the originator of this idea but you know he's should be right up there as a candidate to be captain um at some point going forward because he has all the qualities you look for in that position as a captain 
Yeah, I enjoyed the fact that Tyler Adams did not look happy that he was being subbed out. Like, you couldn't tell if he was mad that he was being subbed out or mad at how the performance had gone or maybe a combination of those things. The one player I don't think most of us knew anything about was this uh, Musa kid uh, who's playing at Valencia and playing at a very, very high level, you know, playing very well for uh, Valencia. Uh, and, man, there is a lot to like about that guy. And I, what the one moment that stands out for me was uh, early in the second half, he picks up a ball in the center circle and he starts driving at Wales' back line and creates all sorts of problems. Obviously, it didn't turn into a goal, but it was one of those things where you just wanted to see somebody take a ball and run at the Wales' back line, and I finally saw it in him. And I hope they talk that kid into staying with the U.S. because he's he looks to have a lot of promise. Yeah, it's another one of these uh, United States melting pot cases where we, we can pick up a player <laughs> Since I remember the first one I remember is David Regie and Thomas Dooley, you know, way back in the day, you know, picking up these um, kids that are descendant of Americans, either through our military around the world or, or people that have come to America at weird times and ended up being an American just by happenstance. So you got to take advantage of those guys in the international I, world. And I love we found that guy. He's great. Yeah, uh, if we end, if he ends up playing for the U.S., uh, and turns out to be some sort of U.S. hero. I can't quite figure out the fact that he is only able to play for the U.S. because he just happened to have been born in the United States because his mom was on vacation. <laughs> this is the true story. Is actually a really cool story or kind of cringy that that's how we ended up getting a player. I, I don't know which one it is. Anchor baby, triggered. You think so? No, I mean, that's, well, he, you didn't know, have, he didn't stay. No, you know? he, no, I don't. Yeah. That's what I'm joking. I don't think he's, that's what's going on there. I think it's just a confluence of events that led somebody to be eligible for our country and a citizen. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's the rules, right? If you're born here, you're a citizen. So, he all can right, play Dan, for us you're, you're a neutral. You're a neutral on that. Is that a janky way to get a world class player on your national team? Is just the weird coincidence he happened to have been born here and then left a week later and never spent another moment on our on our grounds? Oh um, no! I mean, it's uh, you know, it's it's whatever. Uh, you know, England has a similar thing with uh, the Channel Islands, where anyone born on them is eligible for any of the home nations. So, like Matt Letizier, uh being probably the best example to play for England. If it's how you get them, it's how you get them. As long as it's legal, right. I'm just waiting for the player that's born on a plane, and uh, you know is by default, the nationality of whatever country that plane is registered in. You could include Wea in this scenario, too, because remember, he's only an American because his dad lived in New York in order to get away from the fame of his life when he was a big-time international player. Yeah, that's true. That's a that's a, another one. Yeah, I know some of them are super weird, and but that one in particular. Uh, and, and, and also, to be fair, credit to Burhalter and his staff for, for sourcing that kid, because how did they even figure that out? Like, uh, the level of research that had to have been done to figure out there's a kid playing in Spain who's been playing in the English youth, uh, 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 youth teams, but I think his parents are Ghanaian by nature, uh, but somehow they figured out that he literally was born in New York City because uh, his mom was on vacation. I, I, that is an interesting little side twist to his story. Anyway, no matter the, whatever the case is, he looked really good today, and I'd love to see more of his, uh, more of his game. Last couple of notes. Um, I was really surprised and had forgotten how good John Brooks can be uh, when he's healthy. He, he looked outstanding today. Yeah, the, the question with him has always been the health, but he's a rock in the back um, and, and look, has all the qualities you want at that level. The other side, uh, I, I don't think that uh, Miazga is going to keep that job very long because Chris Richards has a couple of qualities, including passing and you know skill with the ball, that 
um, are at a higher level than uh, Miazga. So I think that Richards will not have a lot of trouble taking that spot with just a little bit more progression. Yeah. It is kind of cool to look at a team and say that a U.S. men's national team that uh, you could look at and say it has two guys on it that play for Barcelona. And speaking of which, Serginio Dest is everything he's hyped up to be. And I'm telling you now, I, I'm going to call dibs on the idea that I think he has a little bit of a clemp, a clemp, Clint Dempsey uh, swag and style to his game that looks really cool when you're coming out of the back like he does. I think it says a lot that a player that you think looks like Dempsey is now a right back for this team. That's kind of cool. I mean, that that level of talent to be that far back the, up the pitch is uh, says something about the progression of the United States. Yeah. Well, it was certainly not Wales' toughest team, um, and so it's really kind of have a, a real clear picture of what to take away from today's game because that wasn't a super dangerous side um, by any stretch of the imagination. I guess we'll find out more on Monday when they play their next game on Monday. And, Dan, just so you don't feel left out or anything, uh, how did the England go to, game go today? Well, they won 3-0. It was uh, not the most eventful game. A, pr- a pretty young team out, and Buzz would really appreciate that the team lined up one through eleven. Woo. <laughs> the Eat U.S. almost day. did that. The U.S. was supposed to do that if Pulisic had been healthy. Probably would have. Yeah, they probably would have. In fact, they had all of that uh, set up today. So uh, yeah, that that would have. And, and and you know what? And that's the other comment we should make about the game, real quick. Is it, you do you, you couldn't help but watch this uh, happen before our eyes and not take at least a minute to wonder what it would have looked like if they had had Christian Pulisic in there instead of Legette or whatever. Well, and Sergeant, you know, there's definitely some pieces missing. You know, it's, it's grand assault game. It's an early game. Lots of pieces missing that will be in there. I mean, there's some MLS guys that'll be in there when they get into the real meat of the stuff. Zardis, if nothing else, maybe Alisador still, no, you know. No. <laughs> I know, but, you know, right this minute, if you need to win a qualifier, you probably would want Alisador over anybody, almost anybody else if he's healthy. Yeah, Strange. see, I don't even – at this point, do you think he starts Altador? I, I, you know, you'd have, I'd have to see what Bearholzer's doing with him, but, you know, it's got to be him or Zardis. I, I don't think that if you had a qualifier today, I don't think you'd start Sargent. Now – you know, two years from now, you want it to be sergeant. So you got to start him on a bunch of times in, in things. But like right this minute, it would be Sardis or, or, or Altador. You know, uh, in watching the game, the, the one takeaway that I have is that I'm pretty convinced that the biggest question mark of this whole quote unquote new U.S. men's national team is Greg Berhalter as the manager. And his, I, he does, I do, while I do feel like he's kind of backed off on overcomplicating matters. I watch what happened today and still think, man, he overcomplicated matters by trying to play a false nine and throwing Legette in there and some other things that he did. I, I, that's the one thing to me that still sticks out is uh, the big question mark. Yeah, I would agree with you on the overcomplication. Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't mind a desire to play high level, but I think it takes time to work those things in in your system over a couple of years. It's very difficult to walk into a national team and play that way. That's not easy to do. Hmm. All right. Uh, anything else about uh, uh, that game or the England game that we'd like to talk about before we move on to what most people came here for in the first place? Well, as a fellow broadcaster, Peter, I'm curious what you thought about the commentators on this game. I, one of my friends that's a 
a casual soccer fan texted me and said, are they going to talk about this game at all? Because it was basically like a fanboy love fest. I mean, they were, they were so excited. They're like, oh my gosh, we have players that play with Christian Ronaldo. Well, that's what you're supposed to have. You're supposed to have guys playing at the top five leagues in the world. So I would like a little more discussion about the actual game itself and what you're seeing in front of you and what the tactics are and a little less, you know, um, stroking of egos, if you will, and just partying and fanboy kind of stuff. Yeah, I, you know, I have to assume that in the uh, bowels of Soccer House in Chicago, there are people on the media and marketing side that recognize the need to reinforce the fact that they threw a, a team out there made up of guys that are playing on some pretty incredible teams. Like like I said earlier, they don't have one. They got two guys that are playing for Barcelona. They got a guy that's a goalkeeper for Man City and, you know, a, you know, a Dortmund player, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I, and I, you know, I wonder if that conversation takes place in the production meetings and, and how the hosts themselves feel obligated to reinforce those messages, um, uh, you know, during the game broadcasts. Well, I can guarantee you as a person that does production and without even being in those meetings, I can guarantee you that that is absolutely part of the agenda because this team hasn't played in a year and Fox wants to build up the ratings over the next whatever as they qualify and head for a World Cup. So it's absolutely part of the agenda. Yeah, it was weird because uh, as in the lead up to the game, it dawned on me because this is something I care about. I was like, I wonder what the kits are. I like it's been so long since they've played. I didn't, I couldn't even recall off the top of my head what the current lineup of U.S. Men's National Team kits are, or if they had, if they were going to be rolling out some new ones today. And I had to go dig around on the internet and figure, oh, that's right, they got an all white kit, and then they got that navy kit with the quote unquote milk stain on it. Um, and then, uh, it turned out they were wearing the white. Actually, I don't mind that white shirt with the Navy shorts. That's a good look. Yeah. I mean, obviously the U S tradition is the all white look, but when they, in terms of my enjoyment of kits, the blue shorts for me with the white really pop. I love the way that makes the white look. Now I, I, again, history and tradition of the U S is the all white. That's fine. I just really like the blue combo personally better. What did England wear today, Dan? Uh, much to Buzz's likely disgust, they wore their blue away kit while <laughs> Ireland wore its white away kit. You mean England wore their no Italian sense. jerseys? Well, it's blue and red. No. <laughs> is, it the, is it the baby blue one? No, nah, it's like a royal blue oh. uh, with bright red. So it's like reverse what FC Dallas used to be when the training gear would burn your eyes. Where did they play the game? Wembley. And they were both wearing away jerseys, away kits. Yep, made no sense. <sighs> that doesn't make no sense. <laughs> absolute so kit crime of the highest order. Yep, Boy. kit crimes. Not good, not good at all. Okay, well, uh, we'll set aside international soccer talk for now and uh, dive into what uh, I suspect everybody came here for. Here we are, FC Dallas. Let's look, let's look at the bright side. Uh, Football Club Dallas is in the Major League Soccer 2020 playoffs. Uh, That's the good news. The bad news is uh, they're backing in as they lost badly in Minnesota in the final game of the season, 3-0. Now, I'm just going to be very transparent and honest here. Man, that first half was really not very entertaining, and then when they allowed them to score a second goal a couple of minutes into the second half, I turned off the game and didn't bother watching the rest of it. Yeah, the team basically turned off at that point, too. I mean, we have to be real. This is one of the biggest giveaway games we've seen under Lucci, and and maybe even going back further than that. It's a pretty brutal performance across the board. 
so uh, Dan, you know, let's do this. You haven't gotten to, uh, to chime in a lot. Let's uh, let you turn on your microphone and come in here. And why don't you give us an assessment of what you saw uh, in Minnesota that evening? Right. Turned on. Um <clears throat> You know, Buzz mentioned something in his uh, in his breakdown, and it's completely true. The notion of being too careful. Uh, the first two goals were off of back passes, where they were they were trying to be cute. They were trying to be well, not be cute, I guess. They were trying to be careful, not playing too far forward, not risking the counter attack. Instead, they played a, you know twice played a stupid back pass that resulted in a counter attack. Um, you know, <clears throat> Lucci at the time was talking about, you know, wanting to really go for the game and not just settle for the draw that would give them the home game. Um, he actually did again on the media call yesterday. Um, but then I guess after actually like reviewing the game, realized that, that the approach that he'd laid out kind of wasn't the one. Um, at the time, he was talking a lot about didn't win enough duels, which weirdly was the one statistic that actually led in. Um, but it was just it was a sloppy play. It was sloppy, overprotective play. It was kind of like uh, those those old Sven Guren Eriksson teams that would go one up and then try and defend the lead and inevitably blow it. Yeah, Lucci talked on the podcast, uh, not the podcast, on his conference call. Excuse me um, about how he's still learning how to win on the road, how to get results on the road. Cause he specifically mentioned games they've played better and lost and then games they played poorly and won. Of course, now this one's a complete stinker. Um, and for me, the trouble with this game is what Dan just reanimated is mentality. You know, it's, it's this idea of playing, you can play, it's not a lack of, lack of effort. You can play a, a deeper defensive game and still be aggressive and still play on your front foot and still take, uh, adventurous moves and try and do some things. And when you, when you play flat and sit back like this and then play not to blow it, you get these moments and it translates across the board because offensively too, Peter, we talked about this, you know, their, their decision-making was still appropriate. They had 75% of their shots in their box, but they had nine misses and that that's out of characteristic for this team to just have flat shots that are not even getting on frame to have nine of them happen is just indicative of the, the mindset being wrong all night long. Yeah. You know, so I want to ask a question when you watch that game, how much of that, uh, cause Lucci talked about this, as you said, he's like trying to take the blame and stuff and we're trying to learn to win on the road which all then ties back into, well, if Lucci is, you know, taking the blame and putting this on his shoulders, and that all plays into the whole narrative about his inexperience as a coach. And then I, so that makes me wonder if I'm a fan of this team, how much longer do we have to wait for them to learn to do things? Because that all feels very kind of like I'm new at this and, and, and you guys just need to be patient with us while we figure this out. And, and that just doesn't seem, I guess that's a very tired uh, response at this point. Is that unfair? No, I don't think it's unfair. Um, I think the answer is that it's going to be a while because I, I don't think that the hunts are unhappy with Lucci. You know, I, he's, uh, he's done a, a pretty good job progressing some of the youngsters, I think. And then this year he was handed just all kinds of insanity, 
you know, between the COVID and then all of a sudden there's these high price veterans coming in, some of whom are crazy high and actually really difficult to manage. And they've sort of completely changed mantras of from play the kids to now we're going to go for it. So I, I think that they'll cut Lucci a lot of slack in that regard, you know, and they know that they threw him to the wolves by making him a head coach too early. So I don't think they're going to be in a big hurry to change because honestly, where are they going to go? Right. If they but, were to change oh, Lucci, it was like when they only hire assistants, who's left? Yeah, I, I don't even want to go that far with that. Actually, what I'm trying to set up here, and Dan, I'm interested in your opinion. I'm, I'm kind of actually trying to defend Lucci a little bit because I know he's doing the right thing and trying to shoulder the blame himself. And he's trying to, you know, uh, phrase this as uh, we're learning how to win. But, you know, the two of those three goals that Minnesota scored were just tactical errors or just flat-out stupid mistakes by two of his players. Lucci had no control over that. That's just bad play by his players, right? Um, I mean, it's in part, it's the, the message you give. If you're telling them, don't play yourselves into danger, if you need to recycle the ball, then they're doing exactly what you're telling them. Um yeah, but that has to come along with be smart enough to look up and see where you're passing the ball first, right? I mean, at some point, it's on the players to not do stupid things like that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was, you know, even this, the the second goal, uh, Barrios makes a terrible pass, and Riccardo watches it go by. He does, you know, he could have chased after it. He could have prevented the the Minnesota player from, from getting on the end of it. He doesn't. Um you know, it's individual errors all over the field as much as it is is tactical. But you know, if you want to go with the the bigger influence, it's going to be the message of being more careful in <clears throat> in, in possession. But well, be more mindful in possession. I guess you know he talks a lot about positive possession, possession with a purpose, and we just didn't really see that enough of that. We saw a lot of recycling the ball back rondo out of it which you know is, is very much the the Lucci ball mentality the problem he's gonna have is we're talking about a second year coach but uh you know and i think we can all agree uh oscar Pereira was the, the the club's greatest coach made the same silly mistakes year after year uh if there was a two-legged playoff right now i could tell you that for a fact that orlando would go in uh, to whoever they're playing, set up completely defensively, <laughs> blow a, you know, race to a three-nil deficit, and then not have a chance in the second leg because that's just a, one of those habitual things he couldn't get out of. And you know, there's a chance this could be one of Lucci's of of being overly cautious at times. We just kind of have to see where he develops and and hope it kind of falls on the right side. How much of how much of what happened that night in Minnesota is on Lucci, Buzz, in your opinion? Uh, 40%. I'm, I'm with you that there's a significant amount of it is on the players. You know, the part that's on Lucci for me is probably like starting Santiago Mascara when he can only go half a game and it's incredibly lazy on top of that. You know, that the guy wasn't ready to play. You should have stuck with if you didn't if you don't like your other options, which should have been somebody like Emma Tuamasi, who by the way came in and brought great energy. You know, if if Fafa Pico can't go, which I don't know why he can be on the bench and come in if he can't start, because it's not a fitness thing. You know, just stick with your Hollingshead and Nelson combo, which worked pretty well the previous game, you know. So uh, mascara for me is a major problem. And when you when you sort of throw on that kind of player 
Um, the rest of the squad's like, well, okay, we better better cover up for the mistakes that are going to happen because there were some doozies from that guy. And uh, since I admitted I didn't watch the whole game, is there anything to report back on uh, that anything good came out of the midfield three of Santos, uh, Ricarte, and Ferrer? Because up until the point that I turned it off, <laughs> it was not a good look that evening. Well, they got subbed out around, was it 53 minutes? Um, yep. Yeah. and this, All three of them? Uh, uh, no, not Ricarte. Uh, Ferrer and uh, Mascara did oh, together. Okay. Like yeah. I actually, I, I remember thinking pretty vividly. I remember that Mascara was there because he had three really bad giveaways just before it, but I forgot <laughs> Jesus was playing. Yeah, it was funny. Uh, I I thought hey, it was another really odd kind of off-putting performance by Jesus in the you know whatever fifty, uh, forty-seven minutes that I watched. Uh, but so I re- I clearly remember like at the forty-third minute, the camera panned to Santiago Mascara. Who I don't even think he'd made a run to that, you know, like a significant run in the moments before was just huffing and puffing, and he just looked so out of breath, uh, hands on knees kind of thing. And and again, to your point, Buzz, I I don't understand why Lucci would start him. Well, my 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 guess might be that the uh, and when I tried to think about it as Lucci would think, I couldn't really come up with anything other than. He, he wants to try and get him ready for the playoffs. But my other thought was maybe it's a last chance, you know, because his initial MLS contract is probably running out. So um, mm-hmm. they're going to have to decide if they're going to keep him or not. And so maybe they're trying to give him as much time as possible. Well, somebody was tweeting today about the, uh, um, uh, Alec, the list for the expansion draft for Austin FC. And I was uh, trying to sell Austin on the concept of uh, selecting a, uh, a left wing Colombian player on a on a DP contract just to see if we could push him off that way. Yeah, we'll we'll do a roster protection list coming up when that <laughs> when that happens, and uh, that's a name that probably might not get protected to be honest with you. But we'll do that's a different podcast. We'll yeah. do that one later. If they put if they protect Santiago Mascaro, uh, I I mean literally it's torches and pitchforks at that point. I think. Well, I don't want to I don't I don't want to give it away for you, but the way protection works, homegrowns and and Generation Adidas players are automatically protected. That's like half this roster. Yeah. So there's there's only like I mean it's I actually started working already and I don't want to give away the the prize but there's only like a couple of dudes that need to be uh, that are going to get exposed because they have so many homegrowns and generation Adidas players. Hmm. But I did other, create a classification oh. just for mascara. That's the insistence list. Please take him. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so the other kind of weird thing about this game was the surprise appearance of the U23 Brazilian goalkeeper that I think most everybody had forgotten was even here. Philippe started in this game after Jimmy Morrow uh, turned up injured. Uh, uh, Dan, do you have any hot sports opinions on the performance of one Philippe up in Minnesota? Uh, he, at the start, looked like a player who hadn't played in 11 months, which is conveniently just what he is. Um you know, he seemed to grow a bit into the game um, in terms of his command of the box reach, kind of where he was venturing to. The only thing I really don't like about it is he has that South American tendency to punch the ball. There was one where it was a really easy catch across as it was going away with no one around, and he punched it out for a throw. It kind of reminded me of uh, Raul Fernandez when he would react <laughs> purposely react late to a shot. Well, that too, yeah. <laughs> 
You would also purposely react really late to a shot to try and make it look spectacular. And we saw more than a few crappy little grass cutter shots just roll in because he was trying to show off. Yeah, you could um, throw a you could throw a water balloon at Royal Fernandez and he'd try to punch it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, Raul Fernandez was, you know, he he was he was the big guy. He was the he was the Peru number one. He was the the hero for his team, and he played in France, albeit second division. And he was the guy, and kind of you know, you couldn't tell him anything. Felipe, at least, is you know, he's what twenty one, twenty two. He's he's learning. He's growing. He's got a long way until his peak, and. He could be a project for FC Dallas if they choose to buy him. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, well, hold on a sec, Bugs. The one thing that I noticed about Philippe was that I didn't notice anything about Philippe. Like, every time I see a new goalkeeper, you you can generally identify one unique skill set or trait. They're really strong in the box. They're really strong in the air. They're good at... Uh, uh, they're good with the ball at their feet. They're good at shot stopping, or they're very vocal. I didn't see, and that, again, he hadn't played in 11 months, so it's hard to be too critical or, or, or anything about the guy, but I didn't see any particular asset or identifying uh, skill set in, in him, and maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. I, I thought he was a little flat-footed. Now, as Dan says, maybe that's just not playing in 11 months, but um, for a young guy, I expected of his hype, I expected a little more lateral quickness more like Jesse and I, I didn't see very much of that but I, in the end you got to remember that this deal is one of those Andre deals and maybe a little input from Drew in terms of if we buy him now will he play in the Olympics and will his value double and that's basically what's happening here it was just a they got lucky that they got to put him in for one game and get a little taste because most of their evaluation is going to happen in training I think as well you have to it's, it's kind of hard to judge him just on that one game because he's conceded two goals before he's even really had anything to do. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I thought he could have done better on the first one. I, I, For some reason, I felt like that, while that was uh, a bad giveaway on Ryan's part and all of that and defenders out of position, I just, for some reason, I felt like that was a, that was an opportunity, a shot that Definitely Jesse gets a hand on and maybe even Morrow saves. But again, he hadn't played in 11 months. I, I, I felt that way about the second one. Oh, really? <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, it just depends. Yeah. Um, all right. So, Buzz, let's uh, let's uh, do now our favorite segment. Uh, how fast is the Pepe hype train rolling mm. today? How was uh, young Ricardo Pepe in this game for you? Well, a little hit or miss. This one wasn't his one of his best uh, performances, you know, um, there, there are moments that are great, a couple of shots and three key passes. That's really exciting, those moments. But then, you know, he, he got dispossessed once and had five, uh, you know, missed flubbed turnovers or whatever, which was the most on the team. So um, hit or miss, you know, but that's okay. You know, he's not supposed to be starting. You're not supposed to be the guy yet. He's supposed to be learning and getting, you know, trash time and little appearances here and there. So um, not great, but, you know, that's okay. Um. The other question I have, and, and Dan, tactically, I'd be interested in your opinion on this, because since last week when Buzz uh, revealed the info about uh, Rito, Rito Ziegler uh, and his whole thing about COVID and the mystery behind you know his uh, benching and all of that, and now we're, I don't know, stuck with Brisson or, or they've just gone ahead and decided to stick with uh, Brisson, I, I was watching this game and... I, is it just me or is Brisson way too aggressive in chasing people upfield and, and, and very consistently out of position when Dallas turns the ball over and is in transition? 
defensively. Well, I, I can't actually comment on that because when I uh, tweeted something about him reacting pretty slowly, he uh, he responded to me and said he disagreed. <laughs> That's right. Was that did. <laughs> was that really him? Yeah, it was. Oh, I thought it was. I thought that was a fake uh, a Twitter no, account. I didn't realize that was him. him. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, he's uh, sometimes needs a bungee cord tied to the goalpost, um, which you know it can work. Sometimes he makes these lung busting runs to support an attack, uh, albeit he's a bit slower, so he generally doesn't play a part in that. But you know, having those numbers forward commits to for extra defenders. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes. As with a lot of fullbacks, his timing is off on on when to actually stay back in, in cover and and when to uh, chase and try and press. So having Matt Hedges there, someone who can kind of make up for that, as he did with uh, Walker Zimmerman's many brain farts, um, is always helpful. Uh, as we saw with uh, when when it was Reto and and Brassan together. You know, uh, Brasson goes and Reto tries to just delay, delay, delay and not really stick a foot in and ends up on his ass while the striker's gone around him. So, yeah, yeah, he definitely uh, definitely does go a little bit uh, too quickly. Yeah, it just seems to me that when Hollingshead is pushing forward, Brasson seems way too willing to chase a mark upfield. And then in this particular game, there were a couple of times early when Finley would get in behind Hollingshead and Brisson and Hollingshead both are way upfield and there's just acres of space. I mean, and I it's, it's perfect if you're a third center back because you are you're the attacking guy. You're the, the spare who can who can press and get up. When he's playing two center back, you just you can't do that. And that's something they've they've got to teach him. Maybe he grew up in a system where he was playing like a three five two or something, but he's not gonna be doing that as much for FC yeah. Dallas. It's one of those deals where I know I'm never going to see uh, Matt do this, but man, I would just love to see Matt melt down and start screaming at people <laughs> uh, to, you know. He nearly did on the call the other day. Oh, did he? He was pissed after the game. I've he, we, we all know Matt enough to know that he doesn't really do emotion very much, which is, you know, why he's not, not one that a lot of people will get comments from because he doesn't really react to too much but he was angry he was i mean in part because you know 46 minutes they're they're two goals down and not because nashville have done any uh, sorry not because minnesota have really done anything well just because two really crappy back passes have, have put the defense you know really up against the wall hmm well, uh, that was a really crappy way to end the season and historically is never a good sign into, into backing into the playoffs, especially because this year uh, it is not two-legged. It is all one and duns, and that means Dallas now has to go on the road and not to one of their more favorite places. I mean, I guess on the bright side, at least it's not having to go to Seattle again. <laughs> Wait, I've uh, got a shred of hope for you. Oh, Yeah. Who was top of the MLS form table going into the final day of the season? Kansas City? No, it was FC Dallas. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. I didn't you might have to explain it. what that is, Dan. Some people may not know the form table is. Yeah, so the form table is, is a look at your form. It's, it's your last six games. Um, so FC Dallas had, had been the best in that last six games. They lead, led uh, the home, well, they still lead the home table. Um 
and uh, overall and in a way I think they were somewhere like halfway so you know off the back of those uh, those wins away so not not terrible not terrible so it's not quite back as backing in as much as it is they've just really slowed down a lot maybe maybe the the gearbox has gone in the car and they're just kind of like well we're gonna come to a stop eventually well, yeah, but I mean, I think the big reason to be disappointed about this performance was the the importance of getting it. I mean, it was all they needed was a draw to get a home game, and and to not even really show a significant amount of fight and end up in a three zero uh, loss like that. I think that's the thing that I think got has most people not looking forward to, or at least walking into the playoffs going, yeah, don't. I, I, How about yeah, stumbled in, stumbled into the playoffs. Okay, yeah, but that's not good either, right? No, it's not. It's definitely not good. Right. I mean, it, it, in many ways, it kind of uh, 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 really reduces the value of the work prior to that, the, the four one and one record leading into that game, right? Because they had worked really hard to get back into form, and all they needed was a draw to get a home game, which would be so important, and now they don't have that. It's kind of funny because on the call, uh, I, I guess um, they'd sort of realised that with the way the playoffs are this year, that if they win and LAFC win, they kind of luck back into a home game. <laughs> right. So they were really <laughs> positive about that. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, that's true. Home game, here we come. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, yes, now they on the 22nd. Is that correct? On November 22nd is yes. the game? Yeah. yeah. What day of the week is that? Uh, good question. In it's a y. Sunday. My birthday's the 24th. What is the... It's a Sunday. And, and, so it is Sunday the 22nd. Okay, yeah. yep, you're right. Sunday the yeah. 22nd. Um, so they got to go to Portland. Like, again, bright side, it's not Seattle. But Portland's been playing pretty well, and it's a different surface. And I guess you don't have to worry about the Portland crowd this time. But goodness, do that we have works a, both ways? A lot of players love playing in front of that sort of crowd. Yeah, that's true. And 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 in the inverse, maybe Portland doesn't get the boost that they normally get because the crowd's not there. So maybe that does go both ways. But Buzz, is there I mean, any reason to think that Dallas fans have any hope of getting a result in Portland? Well, the reason to think that they do is twofold. Uh, and if you're looking for reasons why, the first reason is the nature of this team, which plays better against good teams. They play up to the level of competition and they play down to the level of competition. And I'll give you an example because the schedule is so weird this year. Look at how they play against Sporting Kansas City. They played really well against Sporting every single game. So maybe they'll rise to the occasion and play well in Portland. And the other reason to be, you know, it's a stretch, but maybe that will happen. And the other reason to be excited is because Portland is missing uh, humongous chunks of their team. So Andy Polo and Philippe Mora are both gone from international games and won't be back in time because of the quarantine and travel, right? Ah. Um, Sebastian Blanco, Julio Casante, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right, and Jarslo, these are so easy to pronounce, Niezguba, <laughs> are out. And then they got Espria, Bodley, and uh, Abobasi are all questionable. Abobasi's concussion. So you got a chance that you're going to be missing a bunch of guys whose name I can't pronounce, but they're all pretty good players. So, so. basically both of their strikers are potentially out, which is yeah. It's gonna be, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, okay. you know, the Dallas is compared to that relatively healthy. Uh, you know, the guys that were held out Fafa and Hara are both back. 
Um, we know Jimmy is going to back in training this week. Brian Acosta is probably back next week in training, but that means he won't be starting. It means he'll just be available. Um, so they're about as healthy as they've been in a while. And if they can rise to the occasion, then they got a shot. Well, it is Major League Soccer, and it's all about parity. And certainly in uh, one-or-done situations, yeah. anything is likely to happen. And, um, yeah, so I guess it, 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 there's a thank you, Buzz. Correct. That does make everybody feel yeah, if, better. If you show up with the attitude you took to Nashville where you were determined to get a result, if you, if you bring that attitude from a year ago in Seattle, if you bring those road attitudes, then you've got a shot. All this right. is also against a team who, you know, while chasing the Supporters' Shield, just lost 1-0 at home to Colorado. I mean, they're prone to a slip-up, and maybe they play down to the opposition as well when they're, you know, when they don't have uh, Valeri being the best player in the league and, and missing two key pieces up front. Um, you know, they're not, they're not invincible by any means, and they're probably going to be hurting off of the back of... of dropping out of the shield race so late all right but this does beg the question and um and and that is this what does lucci go to portland and do something wacky like play a three-man back line yeah um uh i i'm actually kind of worried that he will because he for the first time in a long time he has two weeks to think about it which means that he has time to work on whatever it is in training and Lucci usually tends to overreact when he feels overmatched um, and he'll do something weird like a three-man back line. Uh, I think in this scenario, the th- I think the, th- the three-man back line, I think is less likely to be a reaction because he usually does that against teams that have a ton of pace up top or like our heavy counter teams. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like Portland's those things. So what I think is the, the overreaction I think you could get is the, uh, Hollingshead at left wing overreaction. I know that Fafa's technically healthy. And for me, when they've played their best is with Fafa at left wing when he's on. Now he's a little bit hit or miss too, but when he's on, that's when they're at their best, I think. But that Nashville game, Lucci was super proud of that result. And you remember, that's Ryan Hollingshead at left wing, Peter. You even asked if that was the left wing solution. And right. Nelson, who's a defensive first outside back, so if he's looking to go in there and keep it tight and to grab a game, I think that there's a chance the overreaction is Hollingshead and Nelson on the left side. Hmm. Uh, um, well, I think it, uh, so much of this is going to depend on how, what kind of performance he gets out of the, uh, out of the middle of, of the park. And I think we've talked about this before. It's, it it kind of goes back to, the old adage of how Mauro Diaz goes, this team goes. And we talked about that now being a part of the Santos, uh, Tiago Santos story, which is uh, game in, game out. It, this team really tends to perform well when he is firing on all cylinders and maybe the two-week break gets us a refreshed Tiago Santos. Well, I would hope so. I certainly agree with that. Um, with he, when he has time to recover and when Ricarte, who is consistent, very consistent from, in my opinion. So for me, it's going to be... Uh, how does Jesus Ferreira go at the 10 because he has no other options to that position, you know, other than what about Acosta? What's Acosta's situation? Well, he, as I said, he comes back, he'll come back to training next week, which means he'll only have a couple of days Ah. to get him ready, which isn't enough. So, I mean, maybe he could knee jerk and throw him in the other guy you could put in there 
is Santi. I mean, who wants that? No, um, no and you no, know, maybe no, Emma. No, so, I mean, no. look, we all know it's going to be Jesus in that position. So, I mean, how it goes is going to be a lot on that, on that. If that guy is making those inbox runs and relieving pressure on Frank O'Hara, if he's checking back and building, and if he's playing, if he's trying to press and putting in that high work rate defense, that's going to be, for me, the, the key to the midfield is that guy. Because I'm sure Santos will be fine with two weeks off between games. Uh, yeah, because you got to figure out what to – yeah, you can't play a 3-5-2 because that doesn't really put Barrios in his best position and kind of screws right. with him. And Yeah. Mm. Okay, well, you know, and kind of the weirdness of this because of the international break, we'll actually have another pod edition, I assume, between now and the game. But is there anything else that you would uh, just off the top of your head predict in terms of what to look for against Portland? The only other thing is um, you, you might question whether Brisson would keep his spot because he pretty much had a stinker. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and say that he will. And the reason that is is because we've been talking about this shenanigans going on with – Ziegler, we're not 100% sure sure why all that went down the way it went down. Well, I did more research, which just actually included me just Googling, frankly. Um, His contract's up. Ziegler's is. So I think if you you keep that in the back of your mind as you look back to all this stuff that's going on with him, that will contribute to the way you look at this whole COVID sit-out and him announcing before the team, blah, 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 and the fact he hasn't played since. I think that's all connected if you will so um, i'm gonna i'm gonna predict that brisson will indeed keep his spot from here on out no matter how far they go all right do either one of you feel like this team is missing uh uh ziggler's left foot free kicks no not particularly that ricard is pretty much got it covered okay all right I just wonder if that ever went into the calculation of sitting him. Well, and Hara's got PKs covered. So it's, you know, and Brisson is slightly quicker. You know, you you lose something with his game, with Ziegler's game reading and and control. But, you know, you got Hogshead on the outside anyway and Hedges on the other side. So it's not that big a deal, really. I have no no way of proving this, but my sense is is that – Reto is um, is just better tactically. Like he's all he's all, he seems to be in position uh, uh, better most of the time. And uh, you know, aforementioned comment about uh, Brisson chasing people all over the field, yeah. kind of stuff. Well, no question. Ziegler played in a World Cup. He's a significantly higher level of player. But you know, thirty five versus twenty seven, twenty eight, big difference. Hmm. You know, and that that's the makeup is the slowness and the age versus the wisdom and experience of a guy who played in a World Cup versus a guy who did not and is prone to massive mental farts, which is what cost him his career at Gremio. All right, so this will be an interesting experiment. Dan, uh, subtract contract politics and uh, whatever beef may be going on between him and the front office aside. Do you start Rita or do you start Brisson in Portland? Hmm. Uh, I would actually maybe say Brisson just hmm. just to to keep the guy who's who's getting some form. All right. Well, then you ruined my other uh, my alternate my alternate take on that question is now add back in the contract <laughs> politics and beef with the front office. Do you start Ziegler or Brisson? But uh, you ruined that. Damn you. <laughs> 
Buzz, do you have a, do you have a preference? Um, if you never would have gotten benched, I would have said ride Ziegler all the way. Um, but now I think over the last four games, when you had some pretty good success with Brisson, now I think you have to ride Brisson. And it's nothing to do with the politics. It's just the idea that you had some consistent results with a guy. I know the last one was bad, but you don't bench a guy for one game. So I, now you ride Brisson. You ride the lukewarm hand. Yeah, no, no, lukewarm. Tepid. The Lucci warm hand. <laughs> that just sounds weird. That sounds yeah. COVID. Yeah. Yeah, you just want – Yeah, uh, I saw an interesting – I think, Buzz, you tweeted it. I guess uh, the Brazilian edition of ESPN did an article about Brisson. Yeah, Dan found that. Um, the, the, it's a lot of talk about how adjusting to the league and how the league is a lot better than he thought it is. Of course it is. MLS is always better than everybody thinks it is. Um, and in particular that he was now comfortable. Uh, the most important, interesting part was that he said his contract is up. And then the translation says he has two options. I, I think that's probably uh incorrect it's probably team there options was, there was another um before i read the esp the, the fully spn one there was another one where the translation to english was a little bit clearer and it definitely said team options yeah because that a, a player option is extraordinarily rare in mls and even more rare with fc dallas so it's almost certainly the team option which is why he said in that article in particular that he wanted to sit down with the team because he wants to be back and wants to stay here. So clearly he knows what we've said all along, which is that he's overpaid for a backup. Um, And if he wants to sit down and take a pay cut, I'd be more than happy for him to come back as a backup because I think as a third center back or as a backup piece, that's great. But there's no question, and this is really something we should be talking about later on in a different podcast, but there's no question that that left center back position needs to be upgraded. Um, but it was still an interesting piece of news that hit, I guess that was earlier today. Um, and Okay, well, anything else about the, the, the Minnesota game or the Portland game upcoming that we want to touch on before we move on? I think that's pretty much everything I had on my list. I think we've pretty much exhausted the possibilities there. Um, you haven't heard uh, from Thomas Roberts at no, all no, how no, Scotland's uh, going or anything like that? As far as I know, he's still in quarantine. He had to go, full, he had to go the full 15 days. Oh, so okay. he'll, he'll get out of that at some point. There is uh, one small thing about Portland. Uh, did ask Lucci, you know, we kind of, I guess, between us really just expressed the concern of that they have to fly in and out same day. And he did say they will be flying up the day before the game, but heading out immediately after. So they at least... That's better. ...aren't doing the two-hour time difference, getting off the plane and, and going straight in. The only thing I would say is it's a shame that this is happening, this game is happening in the COVID year, because uh, a game at Portland is a red letter must do if you're a soccer fan trip oh, in your yeah. life unquestionably i've been to a game there specifically i got to go to a seattle game when it was four to three it was so much fun one of the probably the best game day experience in the united states is a game at portland so oh it's this yeah no no um, my wife and i went to a game in portland also uh when they were playing seattle and without question it is the most european-esque soccer event in the country it's it's amazing yeah, and I'd be all in on recommending this as a road trip for fans, except that we're in the middle of a pandemic. So I'm definitely not recommending that because there's going to be nobody there. But, you know, and, and travel would be dangerous, quote unquote. So I wouldn't do it. But um, some other year, put it on your bucket list because it's phenomenal. 
Um, and before we uh, end the podcast, I do did we did we talk about the fact last week uh, one of the uh, uh, soccer jersey Twitter accounts picked up on uh, the thing that we posted? I don't know how long ago. I guess it was last April of the powder blue away jerseys as the next design. Did we ever talk about that? No, we didn't talk about it, but that was an interesting moment when it went viral months later. That was fun. Yeah, that that was funny. I but it does lead me to the question, do we actually know or have we heard anything about what the new away jersey for 2021 looks like? Well, I was chatting with somebody the other day that mentioned that it that something about the colors uh, that in it that they liked uh, indicating that it's not white. Um, and that's oh. one of the things that we have heard is that um, Adidas has loosened the reins on the on the white away kits because they've they've heard the feedback that everybody hates them. So we're expecting it to not be a color, not be a white. Excuse me, Dan. You typically uh, have a pretty good handle on like Adidas templates and stuff. Anything in particular that you uh, have your eye on as a as a as a design template that you'd like to see them use? Um, not so much. I'd like to see them use, but. Um... Uh, they they have a revolving template Condivo, which mm-hmm. is uh, what no- North Texas is using, and really what all the MLS ones were based on this year. Um, it because of that weird brushstroke stuff that's happening on the front of like the North Texas and all the the quote unquote team wear ones. They actually scrapped it after a year, and they've brought in a new template for next year. So I wouldn't be shocked if. Uh, you know, if if we saw some hastily arranged uh, jerseys on that, especially if it was one that was maybe earmarked for 2022 and they just brought it ahead of you. Hmm. Well, I, I, that's interesting. And Buzz's comment that maybe they, they're not going to force everybody to go with white as their secondary kit uh, is a very, very good sign. I like that. That would be that would be good. Oh, but the goalkeeper jerseys for next year are absolutely disgusting. What do, What do they look like? Uh, they have like a fake flappy collar in black. But so far, they've released two colors. It's like it's a bright a, yellow and orange. Such an and English, they're supposed to... English term flappy. What is a flappy color? What does that mean? Collar. No, I know what color is. No, flappy. collar. Oh, collar. As the neck. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, yeah. That was. Yeah. That's just me not understanding <laughs> what you. I thought you said flappy color, not flappy collar. No, 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 no. No, that sounds like uh, someone that would really enjoy a good uh, a duo out with Pappy Check, and it would be <laughs> epic to listen to. Um, no, um, so they okay. they kind of they've they've teased their template. Right now, it's only avail- It's going to be available in yellow and orange. Uh, mm. There'll be obviously be more colors because we see with MLS every year. There's like five or six that teams can can go from. Um, but it's weirdly based on like the early 2000s, and they use a lot of black in it to to create elements that aren't real. For example, like a fake collar. So uh, doesn't look pretty from the from the images they've they've got so far. But we'll see how it goes. Well, I guess that's something to look forward to uh, for the next year. All right, anything else that we would like to touch on, Buzzard? Uh, just if you like our podcast, support us at patreon.com slash third degree. And thanks, Pepe Check, for the music. Hey, did you ever do the special new tier with the thing that I we talked about last week? No, I, I, you know, I, again, it was my birthday, so I kind of got distracted this week. But um, I'm going to need to do some testing with you and Dan, and then it'll be ready to go. 
Yes. All right, we'll tell we everybody what it is. Yeah, yeah. We'd love to test. Now, hey, a Buzz, year ago, we tested a great website that now everybody reads. So, you know, it works. That's true. See, true, we true. Don't, we're, we're not, not going to uh, oversell it. We're going to underpromise and uh, overperform. Uh, Buzz, since it was your 50th birthday, mm. that, congratulations for joining the club, by the way. Uh, did you have a good birthday? Did you do anything fun or special? Well, mainly I just spent time with um, my wife, you know, and sort of unplugged a little bit and didn't answer work emails and basically did that for two days. And that was about the extent of it. You know, we're in the middle of a pandemic, so I couldn't go crazy. But yeah, and the movie theaters are all closed. And, uh, you know, so I'm going to I'm going to go out to dinner for a nice steak dinner in a week with because um, I had to line it up with some other stuff, which is not important. But um, that'll be my big birthday celebration. And I'll have a nice drink and a nice steak. Is that like lunch with Lucci again? No, no, no. It's just uh, some personal things here with (laughs) the family that are keeping me from doing it until uh, a week from now. It's not important to talk about it here on the podcast. That sounds ominous, I know, but it's nothing. It's just... Mm. It's just some stuff with my family. That's all. Not important. Uh, uh, you know, it does now qualify you. If you ever decided to uh, get come back uh, to play, you could come play in our over 50 league, Buzz. I could. Uh, let me drop 100 pounds and I'll come out there. <laughs> 100 pounds? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that picture you posted the other day of 25 years of Buzz Carrick. Yeah, uh, that was a pretty that was an awesome combo of photos right there. Yeah, I, I came across that picture of myself from in Boston in nine, late 95 um, or middle 95. So basically, it just struck me that there I was as a 25 year old when the right league before, was starting. Yeah, yeah, the league is forming basically at that point. And that was right before I worked the first season of Major League Soccer in 96. I was in grad school in Boston. So it just struck me that like that person there, you know, was me before the league. And now here's a picture of me. After the league, the whole history of, of the league is between these two photos. It's just sort of as it struck me with being 25 and being 50 that that was, you know, encapsulating of, my, of half of my life with this league. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, you know, well, happy old. birthday, Buzz. Thanks, yeah. Man. You know, uh, I'm sure you had the uh, a moment of epiphany or like the, the depressing moment when the AARP application thing shows up in the mail. That was my big watershed moment. Mm. No, I actually haven't had that happen yet. <gasps> oh, Man. yeah. Because typically that happens like two weeks out from your birthday and it shows up and you're kind of like flaming through the mail. Like, oh, shut up in the mail. And you're like, it's, it, it's like glares at you. <laughs> and suddenly it gets really hot in your hand because you have this realization that the <laughs> retirement community has contacted you to join their club because now you're age eligible. It's like, oh, no, it's real. Like, this is the worst thing ever. So uh, yeah. eventually that will show up in your mail buzz and you'll want to avoid it at all costs because it'll bum you out for a good five, 10 minutes. Well, I've already been getting like this summer, I've getting the little bitty flecks of gray down the sides. There's only about 10 of them, oh, but it's an no. ominous sign. Uh, I'm not, not happy about that. That's all right. Uh, 50 is the new 30, as they somebody told me. I, I hope so. I, I don't know. What if the hell does that make me then? Uh, you're English. You're older than this. You're actually 60. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you English age very quickly. <laughs> How old are like you, this. Dan? I'm 34. All right, so in American years, you're 63. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> it totally <laughs> makes sense. Yeah, it totally Absolutely makes sense. Absolutely does not. <laughs> you guys, you you English live a very, very hard life. The, you, you consume a lot of alcohol, and you stay up very late, and, and uh, you smoke a lot of cigarettes, and... I just, my perception is you guys age very quickly. And wear hats. Yeah. 
don't really do a whole lot of that. <laughs> okay, well, maybe you've lived in the United States long enough and you've uh, saved yourself from it. Keep checking the cholesterol and I'll be good. So. All right. All right. Very good. <laughs> um, all right. Well, then, uh, uh, Daniel, thank you for your time today and participation in the pod. Thank you. Buzz, again, happy birthday and uh, thank you. Good, sir. Thank you, Peter. And thank you, FC Dallas Curious fan. We will speak to you next week for a, I don't know, what are, are we going to do another one next week? There is a, a podcast next week for sure, yeah. There will be a podcast next week without a game to review, but another game to, I don't know. We're going to do a podcast next week, another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Buzz's birthday bash. Third Degree, the Third Degree, the podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree, the podcast. Third degree, the third degree never can.